In our text this morning, we're going to see an encounter with a woman and a man, but this one doesn't have anything to do with advice about a car or a check engine light. This one is a little bit more serious in nature. But first, let's walk through this text. First point, verses 1 through 17, I'm just calling this, David and his men are hangry. David and his men are hangry. Some of us have been there before, right? You know, it's that feeling that we get when we are very, very hungry, and that hunger turns into anger very quickly. In our culture, we say this is hangry. I got many, many stories that I won't bore you with about when I was hangry, but maybe you have your own story. And I think in the text we see, David is indeed hangry. He's angry because um, during this time, there was a, a, a feast that was, that was going on. And not only that his people are hungry, but he also has somebody that insults him and that even magnifies the anger that he has. As we begin in chapter 25, we see that it opens up with the passing of the prophet Samuel. And all of Israel mourned and assembled, uh, assembled for him as they buried him. And this marks a new chapter within Israel's history. Now, the text says David goes to this desert, and there he encounters a man, a very wealthy man at that, he had 3,000 sheep and about 1,000 goats. In essence, he was the Jeff Bezos of his day. And his name was Nabal. He had a wife named Abigail who was very intelligent, very wise, and the text says very beautiful. So very similar to most marriages or some marriages where the wife is very cool, very nice, very sweet, and the husband, uh, not so much. The text says this man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a, a Calebite, which is interesting, which is an interesting detail because this means that he comes from the family in Judah that apparently was responsible for the founding of David's hometown, Bethlehem. But Nabal wasn't really a good man. He was not an honorable man. But we see here in this text that he was shearing sheep. This is a rhythm that would happen about once a year. In the ancient Hebrew trad tradition, sheep shearing became a spring festival to celebrate a sheep herder's plenty. It became a significant celebration in the Old Testament characterized by feasting and heavy drinking. Yeah. So this is where the Casamigos comes into play. This is where the Jack Daniels comes into play. This is where the wine comes into play, right? Uh, this is what's happening during this sheep sharing festival. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? In the midst of this celebration, they would cut the hairs of the sheep, demonstrating their love for the sheep, but also it was very important because if they were not given a haircut each year, then the sheep would suffer heat exhaustion and they would overheat and, and die. So this was a very important thing they would, that, 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 that they would do in the midst of this big festival of sheep sharing. So David hears about this, and he sends his young men to relay a message to Nabal. 
Listen to what he says. This is in verses 5 through 8. He says, so David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up at Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you are shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes for when we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. So they relayed a message to Nabal, and this is what Nabal basically says. He says, who is David? Who is David? Who is the son of, uh, of Jesse? Uh, remember, this is very insulting, and this is a way of basically trying to play David. Uh, y'all have been there, right, before where maybe you don't like somebody. Let's go ahead and tell the truth. Shame the devil. You like somebody, and then, you know, their name comes up, and you act like you don't know who they are. You're like, who? Who that? This is what Nabal does to David. He insults him and he plays him. So David doesn't like it and he gets mad. To the point that he told his men to grab your swords. And he says this three times in his text to grab your swords. And you may be asking, well, David, why are you overreacting a little bit? Well, again, the man is hangry. Now, you've been hangry before. Maybe it hasn't been to the point that you're going to kill somebody, but he's angry. And not only angry, but it's also important to note that in this time, the customs of hospitality of Old Testament law suggest that Nabal, who is more than able to provide, remember, he's a very wealthy man, but in some sense, he may be under obligation to aid David and his people. So not only he's hungry and wants some food, not only that he feels insulted, but now he wants to take matters into his own hands. And this passage implies that David and his men protected Nabal's men and the sheep in some way. I say that because one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, yet the men were very good to us and we suffered no harm and we did not miss anything when we were in the field, so as long as we went with them. So in some ways, David's like, I protected you, I did all this, and you want to play me. So this causes some tension to the point he wants to kill all of Nabal's men until, until he hears the wisdom and the interceding from Nabal's wife, the intelligent, the wise, Abigail. And we see Abigail's wisdom in verses 18 through 35. Second point. She quickly gathers 200 loaves and two skins of wine and cakes of figs and, and, and laid them on the donkey to give to David and his men. What's interesting about Abigail, she recognizes the foolishness of her husband and she tries to make it right. She tries to repair 
She intercedes on behalf of her family. When she sees David, she falls at his feet, which in this context shows a level of respect and honor. She says, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. I think this is interesting because Abigail didn't do anything wrong. In fact, from this chapter, she seems like a pretty upstanding person. She seems pretty cool. But she takes the blame for something she technically didn't do. I think it's an important theme in the Bible of people putting the guilt on themselves or even confessing on behalf of the people, even though they're innocent. I think of examples like Nehemiah and Nehemiah chapter one, his prayer that he gives to God. And he says, we have sinned because of what we have done. Even though Nehemiah's didn't, Nehemiah didn't do anything, he's talking about his ancestors that we have sinned, but he's still on behalf of the people prays to God and confesses sin. We see this in Daniel chapter nine as well, where Daniel also individual, but he takes the blame on himself, even though he didn't actually do it. And of course, we got the great example of Jesus who does this on our behalf. The sin, the guilt, shame, all the stuff that me and you have done and have committed fell on the innocent Jesus at the cross. So I love that she falls in, a, in, in the line of people who intercedes on behalf of a group of people. I love that. I also love that she knows her husband is stupid. I love how she knows her husband is good for nothing. Uh, listen to this. It says, let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow. Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. This is his wife saying this, which I think is interesting. By the way, uh, previously, the young man that came to her also called Nabal worthless. So two times in the passage, we have two different people calling the same person worthless. I'm not sure if he knows that or not, but I think it's fascinating that his wife calls him worthless. Now, in the Hebrew language, another thing that's fascinating about this is Nabal actually means worthless, or better yet, translated foolish. So in some ways, he's kind of living up to his name of being unwise and his wife knows it. <laughs> uh, I think some of our ladies can resonate with the reality that there are some good-for-nothing men out here in the world. Amen, lights and walls. Amen, lights and walls. Men, I'm not against you today. I'm just saying I got to see it the way the Bible sees it. There's some good-for-nothing men, some weird, some strange, some worthless men that I think our women could resonate with Abigail with. 
She sees a character flaw in him. Now, I do want you to feel the scandal of this, though. What do I mean? Well, this would have been a very rare and unlikely for a woman to talk to the enemy of their husband and to try to appease him and talk him off the ledge of hurting people without the knowledge of her husband. Remember, Nabal doesn't know that this is happening. So we have to feel the scandal and feel the weight of this, that this woman, in some ways, is being very courageous and being very brave to even do this. After all this, David appreciates her for meeting with him and blesses the Lord for sending her. Essentially, she persuades David not to commit a great sin against the Lord. And not only the Lord, but also to other people. She talks him from going off the deep end and having innocent blood on his hands. And by God's grace, he listens. By God's grace, by God's mercy, he listens to an unlikely woman. He says to her, see, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition." So Abigail intercedes, and David doesn't go through with his plan. He listens to the wise counsel, unlike Nabal, and unlike the husband that I shared about that didn't listen to his wife about the car. In fact, he is wise, and he listens to her. Third point, verses 36 through 44, we see God's vengeance. Abigail goes back home to Nabal, and to her surprise, what is her husband doing? Having a big party, having a big feast, one that is fit for a a king. Can you imagine going back home and seeing this crazy party that is taking place that, you know, is happening? The text says his heart was very merry, and he was very drunk. So his wife waited until the drunkenness wore off. So he was a little bit sober to tell him about the exchange that she had with David. So she does this the next morning, and when she tells him, his heart died within. This is a way of saying that he was devastated to his core, and maybe he had some type of stroke, maybe he had some type of heart attack of some sort, and he slipped into a coma for about 10 days, and then the text says he passed away. I know, it's just the way it ends. It's just like, what? But that's essentially what happens in the story. And then when David hears about this, verse 39, check this out. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult I receive at the hand of Nabal and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail Abigail, to take her as a wife. Dang, David, really? I mean, I'm not really sure that's like the best response. 
per se, when you hear that that happens, you know, it's already dead, you know, it takes a life. But this is what happens. And then David takes another wife. So this sums up the chapter. But from these verses, here are at least two things that I think we can learn and we can take away from this morning. Two things that we can learn and take away from. One, to the teachability and to listen to people that normally you wouldn't listen to. We can take away, we can learn that we should be teachable, should be humble enough to listen to people that maybe we wouldn't normally listen to. If you notice, David was humble enough to listen to a woman that he really could have just brushed off, if you think about it. He didn't really have to listen to her. I mean, he was going to go do damage, right? But he doesn't. Again, women in the ancient Near East really didn't have a lot of authority or anything like that. So the fact that he took the time for her, take the time to listen, I think is a good lesson for us today. Because we live in a day and age where people are not teachable, uh, where people are not humble. In fact, they are arrogant and they have a posture that doesn't reflect the heart of Christ. We live in a time where we easily dismiss people. We ignore those people that are on the margins. We ignore people that are different from us. We don't think we can learn from people in our society. And in a lot of cases, sometimes we think that we can't learn from women. And maybe, just maybe, we should be a little bit more slower to speak and a little bit more quicker to listen and receive counsel from wise women. But this takes a level of humility and honesty and transparency that we have to humble ourselves and be teachable. Amen? The second thing that I think we can learn is patience. We can learn is patience. Now, David wanted to take matters into his own hands, right, by destroying Nabal and his people. But all David had to do was just wait. All he had to do was just wait because we see God's vengeance and what he actually does at the end of the chapter. Many of us, I think, in some ways, we're just a little bit impatient. And I know that's hard for us. I confess myself that's hard uh, for me as well. We live in a very fast-paced, Instagram-ish, quick gratification type of society. So the concept and idea of patience and waiting is very, very foreign to us. We don't know anything about that. And I know it's very challenging and very hard, but I just want to encourage somebody today that we can be patient on the Lord and his timing is his timing, our timing is not. God's patience is something that supersedes our patience, but understand God is eternal and God doesn't have a clock. What I mean by that is we want things to go this way and this time and the ETA. God's timing doesn't work that way. That may be discouraging to hear, but it's meant to be comfort. And I just want to say that whatever it is, life stage that you may be going through, my encouragement is simply 
to just wait on the Lord, to just be patient. As challenging, as difficult, as hard as it is. Because when we take matters into our own hands, sometimes we can mess things up. But even in spite of that, God is still God. There's a story in the Bible where uh, Abraham and, and, and Sarah, right? And for some reason, they were not able to have children. And they had this bright idea that Abraham should um, have a baby with someone else, right? That happens. They took matters into their own hands. But that wasn't that promised child that God initially had promised, right? And I think sometimes in our lives when we see things and do things, because God's not moving at our space, at our timing, we tend to just take matters into our own hands. Now, you may, me not, do, you may not do exactly what Abraham and, and Sarah did. Hopefully not. Amen. But in some ways, I think we all want to speed up the process, just like David wanted to speed up the process. But if we just wait and be patient, I think there's more in store for us. We could all use a little bit of patience. Now, we can pray for patience, but I also want to just say be careful about that because sometimes God will give you what you pray for. And when he gives you what you pray for, sometimes you realize that that's not actually what you wanted. Amen? So I just want to encourage us to, to be patient. And when I think about patience, I think about the Lord of patience. Uh, and I'm reminded that God's pace, patience is unmatchable. He has a, a way of being patient with us in spite of us. He has a way to be patient with us when we have done wrong to him, when we have insulted him, when we have sinned against him, when we have done all sorts of evil things within our hearts through thought, through word, through deed, and God is still patient with us. Whatever sin, whatever struggle, whatever it is that you're wrestling with, I want to encourage you that we can look to the God of patience because he sent Jesus to suffer, to die, and to rise from the grave, to conquer sin and death on our behalf. And if we trust and believe in him, we shall have eternal life and we shall be saved. Can you imagine all of the sin that humans have done up until the crucifixion of Jesus? I would say that's a lot of patience that the Lord had. And we can actually say that even now, all of the brokenness in the world, all of the sin that is in the world, and God hasn't just said, you know what, let me just wipe everybody off. <laughs> but he still is patient with us. So when we think about how hard patience is, I also just want to encourage us that the Lord has great patience. And we can take great comfort in that because he loves us. Amen? So with that said, we're going to enter into our time of communion. So let me pray real quick as we begin. Father, we thank you for this day. We give you all the glory, give you all the praise. We ask, Lord, that we could be teachable, that we could be humble, that we can be able to listen to maybe unlikely people in our lives. Maybe listen to people that are a little, uh, that, that we may think, whatever we may think about, Lord, but give us the 
humility, give us the teachability so that we can be able to trust and believe in your word through unlikely messengers. We also, Lord, ask that we can be that, we, that you can give us uh, a heart of patience in our lives. And I'm sure people are praying for certain things right now, uh, whether it's financial, whether it's whatever it may be, Lord, you know and they know. I just ask that you would be able to give them patience, even though it is difficult and challenging. So we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen.